as those who were here the last time I uh, here a few weeks ago will recall, we're, we're launching into this series on the 12 disciples and looking at each of the disciples over a period of probably about three or four years by the time I get to preach again. But anyway, uh, we're going to attempt to look at each of, of the disciples. And I started off by singing a little ditty from Sunday school days and some of you knew it, others it was new for you, so we're going to sing it now, if we can. <clears throat> There were twelve disciples, Jesus called to help him, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. Well, last time we dealt with Simon Peter and we looked at what uh, God did in his life and how his experience could teach us. We noticed that uh, Peter started off by being a very weak representative of Jesus, someone who denied Jesus, and yet ultimately, as God sustained him uh, through his life, he was able to become a dynamic representative of Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, today, we're looking at Andrew. Have you noticed how many lists there are available for living successfully? You can pick up uh, some of those stupid magazines and read all sorts of articles on how you know easy steps to accomplish something great. You can get, uh, of course, we know we have the 12-step programs which help with addiction, but they're serious programs. But then there is, I heard about a 12-step program for losing weight. Um, then there was another one called 36 Habits to Reduce Stress. Um, and that there are famous books, of course, which have anything between 50 and 350 pointers on how to improve your love life. We could probably come up with 12 steps today on how to, uh, to lose weight. Um, and I'm sure we could think of at least 20 habits to reduce stress. And I'm sure we could come up together with at least 100 pointers to improve our sex life. But there's one thing about these things that... Uh, is common to all of them. Probably there are several things on the list that we are not doing and that we may find some kind of recommitment in order. But often these lists don't tell us anything much that is new. They're ordinary, basic, common sense things that we so often overlook. You know, that's often how it can be in the Christian life too. We do grow, but when it comes to the basic issues of following the call of God, we learn very early on, or what we learn very early on, uh, is what we are basically supposed to be continue doing. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the basics, and that's what we're going to see today as we look at our next disciple. We're going to be reminded of the spiritual matters which need to regain our priorities. And that disciple who is going to show us that is Andrew. Now, who is Andrew? Well, we read about him in a couple of places. Mark 1, 16 tells us that Andrew was the brother of Peter, the guy we looked at last time. At the time when Jesus found them, they were both living in the same house, which brothers often do, in a place called Capernaum. Jesus, <coughs> sorry, we, uh, in Mark 1.21, uh, 
we learn that Andrew became a disciple of Jesus and apart from these issues we don't know too much about him except what we are told in two passages of scripture which we're about to read now. The first one comes from John uh, chapter 1 from verse 35. The next day John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples and when he saw Jesus passing by he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, that's Simon Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Both Peter and Cephas mean rock. The other passage is from John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, "'Where should we buy bread for these people to eat?' He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to have a, a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all eaten and had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now we can see how, why uh, Andrew made such a good disciple of Jesus. It's because when we first meet Andrew, he's already a disciple of John, John the Baptist. <clears throat> we told the next day John was there with two of his disciples. The two disciples followed Jesus and we then were told Andrew was one of the two who had followed him. So Andrew was obviously thrilled by the voice and the personality of this stern and fiery prophet John, the guy who ate honey and wild locusts. Andrew was also eagerly waiting for the one whom John had been preaching about, who'd been talking about, who'd been pointing towards and leading up to. But the wait stops when John sees Jesus and proclaims, look, the Lamb of God. 
In fact, the day before, he'd said, look, he'd been, John had been preaching, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But in this instance, he says, when Andrew's there, he says, look, the Lamb of God. In other words, he'd been preaching about the Lamb of God coming and here he was, this exciting news. And as a result of that, Andrew uh, hears this and understands that this is what he's been waiting for all along. It's interesting to note <clears throat> that although we in church often use the term Lamb of God in reference to Jesus, that term is only used twice in the whole of the Bible and we've just referred to them, the only times. It's not a very common description, but it's a description which portrays beautifully who Jesus is. You see, the lamb, the picture of a lamb, picks up in the, from the Old Testament the sacrificial system where lambs by the thousands, millions, were slaughtered and sacrificed to cover the debt of sin. And John is saying, there's a new lamb in town, the ultimate lamb, the supreme lamb, the one lamb who can fully take away the sin of the world. No other sacrifice ever needs to be made. The lamb is on the scene at, at, and that means our sin could be completely forgiven. The lamb of God. Not the lamb that was brought to sacrifice at Pentecost, at, um, <clears throat> at Passover, yes, thank you, at Passover, <laughs> sign of the times. <clears throat> but the Lamb of God, the one who took on human flesh, the Lamb who washes totally clean, the Lamb who makes us realise that we can't save ourselves. We go through life. And we have our difficulties, some more than others. We've experienced global tragedies, particularly recently, but throughout history. We've had personal tragedies. There are times when we feel boxed into a corner and we have our head in our hands and we're saying, this stuff is just too much. I can't go anymore. I can't win. I can't beat it. I can't defeat it. And you're right. You can't defeat it. We can't defeat it on our own. But with the Lamb, all things are possible. Now, the day after the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed, a sign appeared in the churchyard of a small church in Prague in what we now know as the Czech Republic. It was Czechoslovakia at the time. And the sign on this church simply said, the lamb wins. The lamb wins. And that's the glorious gospel truth. The lamb wins. Not sin, not disease, not death, not tragedy. The lamb who can defeat those things in your life, the lamb who compels us to, to follow as his disciple, this is, the, this is the lamb of God who was compelled who compelled Andrew and Andrew followed him. Now here's the challenge for us. In fact, it's the challenge for all people who are confronted by Jesus. Why is it 
that we are sometimes so reluctant to follow and to keep following. When we know so much about the one who Jesus is, when we know so much about what Jesus has done, when we in fact have even experienced Jesus working in our lives and God doing marvellous things for us, why is it we're still so reluctant? Andrew just had that phrase from John, the Lamb of God. But we, all these years later, are able to look back and see much more of what Jesus had done following that point. But Andrew followed. We know more about what happened. We know about the judgment of Pontius Pilate, who initially proclaimed Jesus to be innocent, but who gave in to the demands of the crowd so that he could be declared guilty. We have watched as the lamb silently endured the whipping and then the crown of thorns and the mocking and the nails and the agony of the words, My God, why have you forsaken me? We have seen him breathe his last breath as the earth shakes and the graves ripped open and the Lamb of God dead, buried, three days in the silence of the tomb. We have seen the silence being broken. He's not here, he's risen. Death is conquered. The grave is no longer the final answer. We see this clearer than the first disciples did. Yet sometimes we can be so reluctant to follow to follow radically with lives changed in earnest repentance. It isn't that the message is necessarily new, but it's more a matter of our rethinking our priorities. As we do rethink our priorities, we are also challenged by Andrew in yet another way. As soon as Andrew realises who Jesus is, he can't wait to tell others. He immediately shares the gospel, runs off to his brother. We've found the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for, and he's here. The first person he shared it with was his older brother Peter. And as often happens, they were brothers who were not at all alike. I'm interested that... Um, I can't find a place where Peter is referred to as being the brother of Andrew. Now, all of those of you who are second-born in the family <laughs> will identify with Andrew. My uh, wife, uh, in uh, well, a few years ago, about five or six years ago, multiplied somewhat, uh, used to be quite well-known for her singing. And she was... Um, is the word popular the right word? I don't know. Anyway, she's well known. She has an older brother and uh, he was always introduced as Faye's brother. And I discovered one time that it narked him. He didn't like being called, referred to. So ever since, whenever I introduce him to anybody, I introduce him, I said, this is Ross, my brother-in-law. Faye is his sister. <laughs> and I get on his right side by doing that. 
But here was Andrew. He rushed off and told his older brother. You can see I'm an only child. I have no idea what a sibling rivalry is like. Well, I didn't until I had my own kids. But he went off and told his brother. Now, they're, they're very different, as brothers often are, siblings often are. Peter was impulsive. Andrew was quiet and reserved. Peter sought the limelight. Andrew was happy to keep to himself in the background. Peter was the born leader. Andrew was the follower and helper. Peter wasn't the sort of man who, uh, who took suggestions well. He was used to having his own way and going where he pleased, which makes this little incident all the more remarkable because Andrew had every reason to expect his big, gruff brother to scoff at him, or as we might say, to put him down, as older brothers, I believe, uh, sometimes do. Well, so well, you have found the Messiah. I can just hear Peter speaking like this. You of all people, my little quiet brother, you found him in a crowd on the riverbank, huh, Andrew? <laughs> You're out of your mind. I can just imagine that kind of response. Andrew might have expected that, that uh, reaction from his brother and maybe it's exactly what did happen. We don't know, I'm only surmising it, but what we do know that he went to his brother and spoke to him with a joy in his voice and a fervour in his soul that could not be denied. That's what happens when we meet Jesus. There were some gold miners uh, out digging for gold and one of them noticed an unusual stone. And when he cracked it open, inside it was filled with gold. All these nuggets were there, or the great big nugget or whatever it was. And they realised that they'd hit the jackpot. This is it, we're rich. Now they needed to go back into town and had it all registered and all the rest of it. When in town, none of them breathed a word about their discovery. Yet as they left town, a group began to follow them. The group said, we know that you found gold. How do you know? Who told you? The group said, nobody. It shows on your faces. Now, Peter may have been sceptical about his younger brothers, but he, didn't, he couldn't deny that something had changed. It was written all over Andrew's face, obviously and his, the tenor of his voice. Notice something really important here. Andrew only knows that little amount about Jesus. But that doesn't matter. Andrew realises that Jesus needs to be central. So Andrew begins to let others know. Tell me, when does a candle start to glow? Only when it's half burnt? No. It starts to glow as soon as it's lit. It starts to glow as soon as it's lit. Jesus said, let your light shine. Jesus said, go make disciples. We need to let others know what we're on about. It's what we are made to do right from the very beginning of our walk with Jesus. We know it may not be fully prepared or have the greatest ability to tell others about Jesus. We may not be all public, upfront public people, 
But if we know Jesus is our saviour, we can reflect his love. We can reflect his light. We can show and shine for him. That's the only question that quali- that's the only point that qualifies us if we know him. It doesn't mean we all have to be upfront uh, evangelists. After all, who's Andrew? Even though Andrew is one of the first disciples, he, he doesn't end up being the team spokesman. We don't know what Andrew went on to do. Andrew is not a Simon Peter. Andrew is an introducer. He just introduces people to Jesus. But that's all. That, 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 that's enough. Which means all of us can be involved in the process of sharing the gospel. We may think that we should leave the job to someone who knows more or who speaks more fluently or clearly. But Jesus is calling all of us to be who we are, disciples who share the gospel. Disciples who recognise that sometimes it's the simple message spoken in love that is the most powerful, especially when it is spoken to people who know us well enough to know the words are sincere and real for us. Andrew was this sort of disciple. And I sense that some of us here today might be starting to identify with Andrew. Yeah, we're like that. We're, we're not the upfront people. Quite often, you know, the people who are upfront, who are, who are accustomed to speaking to large crowds <coughs> and who can present well from up front, quite often they're the people who find it very difficult to speak one-on-one and to share with people on an individual basis. See, we're all different. And that's why working through this series on the 12 disciples, we'll be able to identify, some of us will be able to identify ourselves in these various guys. Andrew was this kind of disciple, like you and me. And that was okay with Jesus. He just gets on with the job of bringing people to Jesus. In fact, that's what he is doing in, one, in the second reading from John chapter 6. Crowds have been following Jesus. You can tell most of them were not Boy Scouts because they weren't prepared, had no lunch. Jesus wants to feed the crowd. So he tests his disciples. And in the end, it's Andrew who comes through with the goods. Well, sort of. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among this crowd of thousands? But Andrew met this boy and brought him to Jesus. <clears throat> Five barley loaves, two fish, less than most of us would take to a picnic. And Andrew himself wasn't quite sure how that would help, but it was all the food he could find. And so he brought the boy and his lunch to Jesus and he knew, he trusted that Jesus somehow would do the rest. He said, Jesus, here's Tommy. This little guy here, he's got um, his lunch with him. It's not much, but here he is. And he introduced Tommy to Jesus. From that time, that young boy's life was changed forever. He would have gone home that day <laughs> telling his parents 
about this amazing miracle. That lunch that his mum had probably prepared, sent off with him, in his Tupperware. (laughs) (laughs) Or his glad wrap, whatever it was wrapped in. This easy little lunch had fed over 5,000 people. What an amazing effect it would have had on that little kid's life. It's an amazing thing that when someone who thinks they are nobody suddenly realise they matter to God, the difference it makes in their life. And I've got to tell you that some of the most powerful ways you can introduce people to Jesus is by loving somebody and doing something in love for them. You don't have to be that upfront person to introduce people to Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to see people converted. But when you are a disciple, telling people about Jesus becomes your priority. Now I know that's not something new. We've heard that before. But that's what I meant before when I said we're just looking at basics. And that's what Andrew teaches us. And if I'd asked you to tell me what this passage was teaching for us, I'm sure most of us would have said, oh, we've got to tell others about Jesus. But unfortunately, over the years, people have taken the idea that that means we've got to go to Bible college and learn all about the Bible so we can get up and preach and tell people stuff. Or it means we've got to go around Bible bashing people till they're dumb. That's not the issue. We just have to tell other people about Jesus in a natural way loving way a plate of scones given to somebody and that and telling them and when they say thank you that's because you're special you matter to god is all you need to say because that's introducing people as andrew did so we have to work out our priorities We have to rearrange our priorities sometimes. The priority comes when we know Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Lamb who decided that eating with the unwanted people, eating with the sinners, was better than eating with the religious elite. The Lamb who identified with outcasts, the unwanted, the poor, the defenceless, the lamb who knew we were never going to make it on our own and then did what was necessary to make us God's friends. We know this lamb, just as Andrew did. We have the knowledge, we have to organise our priorities. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today learning from this your disciple, Andrew, who was an ordinary guy, who met you 
and introduced others to you. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to sort out our priorities, to stop hiding behind our insecurities, to stand up, to be prepared just to say that small word, you are special, you matter to God. I love you because of who you are and what God thinks of you. Help us to show your love. In Jesus' name, amen.